Morgan Life Live. Today's lessons from near-death experiences, which what is cooler than a near-death experience? If you haven't read them, you got to go in there and read that. If you haven't had one, you got to read about somebody who has, because this is a peak that people get at, at reality, at, at the core, at life as it should be. And what we want to do is take that and mesh it beautifully and harmoniously with the stuff Swedenborg explored and come away with this practical tool we can all use. And now let's explore it more. Let's build community together around it. So we are going to spend some time taking your questions and answering them. And by we, I mean a very excellent panel of expert human beings, expert Swedenborgians, expert life livers. Uh, so let's let's meet our panel today. Karin, welcome. Oh, hello. I'm Karin Childs, community manager and writer at Off the Left Eye, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. And I'm Kara Dom, um, Latin consultant for Off the Left Eye, and looking forward to another fun hour or so. And I'm Jonathan Rose, series editor of the New Century Edition and co-host on Off the Left Eye, and uh, delighted to be with you. Okay, so let me start with an interesting story. Because everybody, who, all those great co-panelists that you just saw, as well as the, our producers behind the scenes, may be wondering why we started a little bit late, like two minutes late. You won't know if you're watching it in post. That's because I was in this chat room. We were all ready to go. And then I suddenly disappeared off of the face of the earth. And here's the story. So I need, there's certain things during the show, information I need to get that comes through my phone. And my phone is low batteries right now. So I was plugging in this little thing so it could be charging. But the, the charge wasn't quite working, so I thought, hey, maybe uh, you know I need to go and wiggle the cord down there. And finally, I had a power strip that was full. I was like, oh, I just need to unplug one of these things. Uh, not that one, this one. And it was my internet. It was my router that I unplugged. So I had to wait for that thing to boot up. Thanks for your patience, everybody. Hey, we're here now, and we made it. Uh, what we're going to begin with is a, hearing a little bit from all of you, you know, since you got to hear that, you already got to hear that awesome story from uh, from us. We do this thing called the reflection question because if we're going to grow together spiritually, we've got to give everyone a, a chance to think and, and talk about stuff. So this week we asked all of you, what's a spiritual tool that you use often? Which I'm quite curious about these answers. So Karin, what do people have to say? This is a condensed version of many wonderful responses from people and People have had NDEs come back with tools to, to uh, live life with, and but we can all find those tools. And here are many wonderful responses. I try to feel love for evil spirits. Love works better than anger. The silence through meditation into a higher state of beingness. Sage and calling angels in to help those lost souls. Serving animals, writing in my diary, soft music. The serenity prayer has guided me through many uncertain days over time. I say the 23rd Psalm and ask the Lord what I am to know in this moment. Prayer. I say the Lord's prayer for its profound effect on the earth and spiritual world. I remember that God can't work through me if I'm in a state of fear or anxiety. Yoga to release anxiety, be fully in the moment and tap into love. I take positive thoughts seriously because that's an angel speaking to me. I focus on the fact that God only loves us. Time alone in nature, prayer, helping others, reading Swedenborg in a beautiful place. 
meditation, being present, keeping my thoughts aimed toward usefulness, awareness of my thoughts and what I feed, divine providence and prayer. I use praise and worship when I feel low in my spirit or feel disconnected from God. Trying not to let my thoughts wander. The mantra from the guru is a spiritual tool to make your spiritual journey easy. One thing I practice, a representation of spiritual wisdom is be kind. Prayer and listening, gratitude for all, his love is all and everything. And finally, praising Jesus, he opens my heart by sharing his. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, They're awesome and bite-sized tools that we can take with us. And you think about the lived experience behind everybody deciding, oh, I'm going to answer this question this way. There's a lot of times when that stuff really came through in the clutch for those people. So thank you for sharing that with us. And I love the idea of it, it amplifies. Like you guys giving us your tools doesn't make them less useful to you. It just makes them more useful to us. So it just builds and builds the amount that the human race can push back against all the negative stuff that these tools are helpful to pry off of us with. Awesome. Okay, let's get to the questions. If you're new to this, go type your questions in the chat and we'll be answering them as they go. Um, and before we get there, just so you guys know, we're not for profit. This show, everything on this channel cannot happen unless you guys pitch in. If we raise $100 this week during the show, we will give you 15 extra minutes of Q&A as our gratitude for you pitching in. Go to otle.cosvox.com and there we will, uh, there you can make a difference for us and make a difference for this very show by extending it. We're going to start with Pamela Collins who asks, does Swedenborg teach that we all have a guide or guardian angel? Speaking of spiritual things getting us through, what is a better concept than us having a friend in that? That no matter what we're going through, there's a spiritual, somebody sitting over your spiritual shoulder, sort of watching your life, knowing your ups and downs. Is that real? I mean, do we have that? What, what does Swedenborg say? Panel, what do you, what do you got? Uh, Karen, you want to kick us off? Yeah, we did. Swedenborg definitely saw that we are always in connection with angels, that we are always being influenced and helped and guided by angels who are working on behalf of the Lord. And Swedenborg has this thing where he says we always have at least two angels and two evil spirits that are kind of on the opposite ends of our, you know, selfhood, our, our higher selfhood and our lower ego selfhood. And so those, those two angels, um, I, I, no doubt, uh, because Swedenborg also says that every angel is connected to a whole community of angels. So that doesn't mean you only have two angels <laughs> in your life. You always have a lot. Um, but those, those two angels, um, I don't know, you know, he didn't specify if those are the same angels all through your life, or there's places where he talks about we we change what angels we are hanging out with as we develop through our life. And so we have very, very high loving angels when we're little and innocent. And then we get um, lower angels just to help us develop a, a mind and a thinking of our, for ourselves and things. And, and then it can just keep evolving. You know, if we regenerate, we're getting back in touch with higher angels as well as staying in touch with all levels of angels. Um, so I think maybe on, 
on the one hand, we're, we're changing our angel associates as we go through life. But since we all are connected at our deepest core with a certain angelic community, there might, must also be some consistent angel companions that, uh, you know, know we're eventually coming home to their community. And so they might be ones that when we cross over, we'll say, oh yeah, you've been my friend all my life. <laughs> so there's some thoughts to start out. It's great. And I do think it's an important distinction you raised that while Swedenborg seems more concerned with the principle that there are angels with us rather than telling us who or for how long they stay in a lot of cases, it doesn't negate the idea that you'll find in a lot of people's experiences of that there's somebody with you long term. I imagine there's a lot of different configurations. But uh, Jonathan or Cara, do you, you guys have any uh, follow ups? Jonathan. Yes, uh, I, I agree with what Karin said. And um, I've really wondered myself, based on what Swedenborg says, how exactly does it work? Or, or do they come in shifts? Because he really does emphasize that they're always, you know, we always have at least two with us. And you see a picture of that in the New Testament. When Jesus is resurrected, there's an angel at the head and an angel at the foot. You know, that kind of idea that there are two angels with us. Um, uh, Swedenborg has a part in Heaven and Hell where he talks about what angels do for a living kind of thing, you know, what their work is. And angels have various different types of work. Some angels sort of work in heaven, some work in the so-called world of spirits, which is halfway between heaven and hell where we go after we die, and some work in hell. And But then he sort of adds that they all work with, with people in this world. So that seems to be separate from their jobs. Yeah, I, I just love to know how exactly it works, but uh, I'm reassured that it that it does work. And a big factor that he emphasizes is that um, depending on the type of thoughts and the type of feelings we're having, we allow them to be closer or or farther away, depending on our beliefs, whether we even believe they exist or not, you know, or whether we call on them or not kind of has some control on, on how much they're able to help us. And so there's a lot that we can do to try to be thinking in alignment with them, uh, trying to be humble and tr trying to work with them because some, everybody has these two angels with them. But in some cases, it sounds like they must be pretty far away and just trying to keep us from doing anything worse than, than we're already doing. Whereas in other cases, they can really, you know, there's a partnership and you can work together. So those are some, some thoughts. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, I got stuck on Curtis duty. Oh, I just, the whole, the whole time I was going to be like keeping his hand out of the cookie jar. Yeah. It's great. I, I love getting kind of these, this, this tapestry laid out here of all the different data points Swedenborg does give us. Cara, do you want to add something to that? Yeah, just one more thought. Karen basically said everything that was in my mind, but I'm remembering now yesterday I was reading in the Arcana early on-ish, um, and it just said something like, angels love nothing more than to, and it listed about four things, and the last one was to hang around with human beings and, you know, bring them the influence of heaven and protect them from the influence of hell. So it's high on the, uh, you know, to-do list for angels, apparently. So it was just a, a cute way of phrasing it in that particular number that I saw. 
Yeah, and and that placement on the to-do list is top down. I mean, this this comes right from God because divine providence has for its purpose, to loosely paraphrase quote, a heaven from the human race. So to get and heaven is individual for everyone. So to get any given individual into heaven, which what is heaven other than community with angels under the Lord's guidance? That's the point of everything. So when angels get to do that to help facilitate us moving in that direction, they are doing the thing that is absolutely uh, on the top of the whiteboard for God. So I would imagine there's some resonant joy coming through that whole thing. Hope you like that, Pamela. There's a, just a little, um, there's a buffet of concepts around that. And again, what a cool idea that there, there are guides with us. When you think your life is, who am I? What, I'm just nobody and this is nothing, this thing called my life. To think of, you've got like a cheerleading squad, you've got super fans, that there are some beings, some people out there, not just anyone's, like angels who are just the greatest people you could ever want to meet, who know all the ins and outs, uh, and that just being a proxy for the person of God who gets every little bit of it. It's awesome. It's so cool. All right, let's go to the next one. This is Michael Hicks who asks, did Swedenborg have any thoughts on Kabbalah? Is that, I think it does like the Jewish mysticism, right? Is that right? Okay. Karin, didn't you do some research into this at one point? Yeah, I wasn't researching Swedenborg's connection with it, but a few years ago I was studying some Kabbalah and I was amazed at just some very cool similarities between uh, uh, just a very, that kind of spiritual view on reality and what's what I find in Swedenborg. And it actually kind of helped me um, sort of hear different things in Swedenborg's writings than I had before because it, it just broadened my mind a little bit as to what Swedenborg might even be talking about. And so that was cool. So I do think there's a lot of similarities. Um, I, I know there's a couple of articles on the Swedenborg Foundation website about, by Rebecca Esterson, Re Rebecca Klein Esterson about Kabbalah and Swedenborg. And I uh, am no expert on that, but what I remember from those articles is uh, there are a lot of similarities. Um, there's not, uh, and maybe Jonathan can correct me if I'm remembering this wrong, but there's not any obvious, you know, smoking gun that Swedenborg was a Kabbalah scholar, but it was um, apparently something that was maybe even in universities and something well known in those times as one area of study. And so perhaps he was, you know, would have been aware of it or, um, you know, it would have been involved in his broad range of studies throughout his life or in university where he went. Um, but there's, there's nothing in his personal diaries or writings or anything that's just directly talking Kabbalah. Um, uh, instead, he is talking concepts that there are a lot of similarities, but he is getting that through his direct experience and his actual focus on the Bible. So there's all I know about it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I heard Dr. Rose called out there. So I'm going to turn it to you in a second. But first, let's put our hands together for a little thank you. Thank you to Jeffrey and Tara. Thank you. They, they both have contributed to the Off the Left Eye project. Thank you so much for doing that. We are now creeping up to 50% of the way to our goal. If you guys want to have another 15 minutes, and the 15 minutes is just a token. What it's really about is continuing this 
programming, all of it, not just this show, but all the programming we do. So thanks so much, guys. If anyone else wants to pitch in, otle.causevox.com. Dr. Jonathan Rose, what's going on with uh, any official links that you know of between Swedenborg and Kabbalah? Well, the first thing I'll say is uh, something a teacher of mine used to say. You could uh, fit everything I know about Kabbalah in your ear with no discomfort, whatever. Um, (laughs) However, the uh, (laughs) uh, Swedenborg's brother-in-law, Eric Benzelius, taught at the University of Uppsala, and he taught the subject of you know, Jewish mysticism and uh, Swedenborg studied at the University of Uppsala. He lived with his brother-in-law and was very close with him. There are a lot of letters back and forth. It would seem surprising to me, and I know there was a Johannes Kemper who was teaching the subject at the University of Uppsala as well, who was a, um, a, a Jew who had converted to Lutheranism and was teaching there and, and uh, that George Dole has written about. Um, uh, so it would strike me as surprising if Swedenborg hadn't heard a word about it. He was a very intelligent guy who had a lot of interesting conversations with a lot of other intelligent people. And so he had probably heard some of these concepts. And so that idea of humanity, everything being in the human form, that, that kind of idea, um, it just, there are some striking parallels, but as Karen says, he, he he never says directly as we read over here or something you know he he, he doesn't say that uh, so you just have to conjecture on the connections. Well, let's go into those parallels because I feel like that's really the heart of the question. Is maybe maybe he didn't say anything on it, but what would he say about it? So what are the parallels? So the grand human, yeah, the, right. They call it Adam Cadmon. The yeah, that human humanity is a grand human, or the archetype human yeah um, is that the main one or are there there's probably millions but yeah the other that i it's been a few years so i'm going to be fuzzy but the other thing was just these levels of reality that was striking me um that there's the cabalistic tree with these levels and these different circles and it just see and that it flows down from the underlying reality the the divine beyond um beyond comprehension and then flowing down into these spheres that just gradually bring the divine down into uh, the, the lower and lower levels. And um, in those levels, there was just um, concepts that to me were really matching with the idea of like the, <laughs> the unfathomable um, unrea- underlying reality that Swedenborg talks about down, then to the spiritual sun, you know, radiance that goes out and then the celestial heaven level and the spiritual level uh, level and natural level and then earth, yesod at the bottom. And so it just, that was another big uh, correlation to me is these levels of reality and how the divine flows down through those levels. Awesome. Well, if there's a, there's, there really is a truth out there, you would think we'd be seeing some big parallels and those sound like some pretty important concepts Kara, do you like anything in this conversation that you want to expand it at all or are you happy to let it go okay uh, they yep i know nothing it's fascinating that is that is the first step to wisdom we were just <laughs> just doing some presentation about how angelic ignorance and that angels always have having this idea in front of them 
that what they know about anything, even if they know a ton, is nothing compared to what they don't know. They have to have that or they can't be angels. So you are a step in that direction. <laughs> hey, thanks, Pamela. Pamela made a contribution. We're now over halfway to our goal. Yay. <laughs> OTLE.Cosvox.com if you want to be part of giving a, an extra 15 minutes to the end of this program. No pressure, but it will uh, help out in the programming. Let's go to the next one. This is a this is one we can dig into pretty hard here. So everyone take a breath, drink some water. Julian asks, why do humans struggle so very hard to stay alive in this mortal world when it's all temporary and our work continues on the other side anyway? Hanging on, hanging on now in the age of COVID-19, it is a difficult thing to do. And if you're really saying that, look, there's a, there's a world just sitting right on the other side of it. Your one near-death experience that doesn't bring you back away from going there and everything's better and the people are shiny and the places are friendly and God is sitting right there. Why are we busting our tails and suffering trying to stay here when everything's worse here? So this is, and it's pretty important uh, that we, we get into this, right? So, um, uh, yeah, Karen, do you want to lead off again? Yes. Um, if you think of it, it is as important for us to start here in the physical level as it is for a seed to start in within the shell of the seed and in the soil or else it can't become a plant. And the physical level was created to be this crucial starting place for us as individuals. And it was not always, it was not meant to be this messed up. It just got messed up. You know, like it was through the free choice and making bad choices that this world, the physical level became so painful to be in, in many ways and everything, but it was created as it says in the creation story in the beginning of Genesis that God saw that it was very good. It was created to be a, just a beautiful, wonderful place to start out. Um, becoming a being. And um, of course, there still are beautiful things about this, this world. Um, but uh, what I've learned um, through studying Swedenborg for shows we've written about this is that um, everything flows from God and everything in the deepest level is just part of God's life. Um, but in order for each of us to become an individual consciousness that has a, a a feeling of a sense of identity. We have to come into the physical realm, get a physical body and have a spirit that is developing within that physical body because through that, we actually develop this border to ourselves as being a, a self that then continues on into the afterlife. This is what this mysterious limbus is, this um, border that we keep with us going into the afterlife that that keeps us being a somebody that can relate to other somebodies else. We would just morph back into the, the all, <laughs> you know, like uh, we wouldn't continue to be a someone who can have thoughts and feelings and choices and relationships and enjoy doing things and sharing love and everything. So all that um, is only possible if we start here in the physical level. And so that's why we have to start here and, it, it's got a lot of problems now, but um, it is getting better, I believe. If you look back a few centuries or a thousand years, I think things were a lot worse and we're on a upward trajectory, long way to go, but stay hopeful because we can just one person at a time 
um, bring more of that heaven back to earth. And that's the promise that earth, the earthly life will once again become a very pleasant and not, <laughs> not a place of suffering anymore, but a, a pleasant place to begin. Becoming an individual that there is a value in that beyond what we even usually think that there is some, that is somehow a container for maximum heavenly joy. And that that's something to keep in mind for sure. And worth putting work in for Cara. What do you think? Well, why do humans struggle so very hard to stay alive in this mortal world? I, I really do think that a lot of it is a fear of the unknown, right? As people say, nobody came back to tell us. That's what everyone's always telling us on, on, on this channel. No one ever came back to tell us what it's yeah. like on the other side. Right. So it, it really is a huge matter of faith. Um, it's it's a, a matter of belief and trust. And some people just don't believe it. And some people don't trust it, even if they believe it. Like something in their heart isn't quite sure about, well, if I just decide not to go on the ventilator, then what, you know, or whatever. I mean, it comes down to individual like choices about what you're going to do with your body. But I sympathize with you, Julianne. And I, I feel lucky that um, it does take an edge off for me of the fear of death. Um, and of course, you don't like to lose your loved ones. But um, I don't, you know, well, yeah. people, people, it just takes something. It takes something to, to hold that faith and trust that there really is something after this. And it's not a given in this world that people believe that. I think you bring up a really important distinction there, or you implied a really important distinction with how you were talking about that, is that there's two sort of struggles around life. One is where you're 57 and in fine health and you could put in another several decades in this world no problem but you're just feeling like man i am i am working so hard and i'm suffering in all these different ways is it really worth it i, I want to check out even though it's not time versus there are there's certainly on the other end where you're not going to recover you're you're you know you're at a point where your body's never going to be able to function well but are we dragging another week out of it by pumping it full of all these things. So that is, these are sort of these two different places. Cause to the first person you'd want to say like, look, we can find a way to, to, to get through this. And you've got so much more to live here and stick around. And to the other person, you might be saying, you know, there's a lot of suffering cause, cause you, cause you're lacking that trust. So it's just interesting. Those two different, uh, those two different dynamics there, Jonathan. Yeah. My, my uh, brother once traveled far up into the, what used to be called the, Northwest Territories in Canada, and um, he saw the salmon swimming upstream uh, to reproduce and die. And, and what was so striking about the situation was that the salmon are, they're, they're swimming as hard as they can and trying to provide for the next generation. And their bodies are literally rotting off, like hunks of flesh are just falling off them. They're falling apart while they're still trying to complete their mission. And I thought, gosh, that says it all, doesn't it? I mean, that, that feels like the story of my life. And um, <laughs> in other words, what a strange situation to have this beautiful world that awaits us. And then to have this weird, weird world, which, which is wonderful in so many ways, but also very strange and, and subject to pain and sickness and 
problems that, you know, and you wonder why, like, what's the point? And I had the thought at one point that it's a little bit like, you know, when you go to see a doctor, uh, what you really want to do is you want to see the doctor, but you spend a lot of time sitting in the waiting room. And I thought, well, here we are in the waiting room for eternity. And yet there's this tremendous amount of attention, usually in waiting rooms, you get a lousy chair that's uncomfortable to sit on for more than 20 minutes and you don't get much to read because, you know, it's just a waiting room. But and yet the attention that goes into this world seems more like uh, it's more than a waiting room. You know, something very, very important is going on here. So one thought is that there's a lot of good stuff that we can do for other people here. If you have to have anybody here, then it's good to have other people here and you can help other people and have compassion and so on, which creates a society, which is a good thing. But also for our own selves, as others were saying, um, important stuff happens here. One, one thing I've thought about is that we have spiritual privacy here. Like you make a, a decision and people can't really tell what you're deciding. I think it's kind of important. When we go to the other world, it's an honest world and everybody can see what you're choosing. And so I think there's something to that spiritual privacy that happens here, why it's important. And Swedenborg does emphasize that we can be uh, even going through this messy world and getting dirty ourselves. We can end up as pure as those who die as newborns, you know, who hardly have that experience in this world. So there really can be positives here. I agree with what Karin said about sort of the, the formation or, or so, and, and that kind of envelope and that sort of usefulness that you can have. And we just talked earlier in this show about all these angels who are paying attention to us. You know, we're sort of wanting to be in this conversation. Hey, what is it like where you are? What We, we can't wait to go there. And they're all like, well, I don't know. I'm interested in what's going on in your life. What's going on down there? And uh, so the two worlds want to be together. And this is a foundation. And like the drain in your bathtub, so too many analogies per minute, I'm sorry, but the, like the drain in the bathtub, that's where all the hair and junk accumulates, you know, <laughs> like um, uh, we're at the lowest level. And so it, it gets messy, but you have to, something has to be the bottom of, of this whole thing. And a lot of divine energy, Swedenborg describes, comes all the way out to this outermost level and then returns from there. And so he describes scripture as being so powerful because it's here in the physical world. It's right down in earthly language. And, um, and so it's a great mystery that you put your finger on there. But I do feel like we're, much as it sounds great to, no, I just want to go to heaven now. Like, why do we keep dealing with this, realizing what this is like here? But um, like the salmon, we've got a job to do. And uh, even if we're sort of, limbs are rotting off and everything. Uh, it's important that we're here. We'll have plenty of time to enjoy eternity. Yeah. Well, don't, don't worry. We just got our metaphor budget increase this year. So you can use <laughs> as many of those as you want. And I want to expand on the last point that you were making about the layers of reality and things resting on here. Because there, there are two things happening in this world that you might not be aware of that are that have to happen. So it's both uh, that we are an essential outer layer for consciousness. Angels couldn't exist without us. And the second one is the kind of angels we become after going through this life can't be made any other way. So I'll expand on those just briefly. 
So the the outermost level that, that Jonathan was talking about, we think of angels, oh, this is so great. These angel guides are coming and helping us, and, and we barely can fumble around in life. And then these angels come, and they are super powerful and super great. But Swedenborg asserts in several places that without uh, our minds as a lowest level of consciousness, angels, heaven would have no foundation and would collapse. Like heaven, unless there were some of us here putting in the work to be human beings, there couldn't be a heaven. So somebody's got to do you just by being here are pulling some of the weight of allowing heaven to continue. And it's not forever. It's for a while, but there's got to be perpetually people doing it. And, and that may sound arbitrary, but there are very, very clear reasons. You could look at it in a microscope and see just why it's just like you've got to have skin on the body. If nobody's the skin. Doesn't matter how good the internal stuff is. It's all going to die of exposure. So we are providing an essential service for heaven right now. And then, sure, some people die as, as newborns and they get to go up to heaven and be really pure and happy, but they lack some things that we have here. Swedenborg was talking to one of them and noticing that they didn't have a concept of what evil was. Whereas we're here, we see it and face it and push it out. Again, the human body, as we we're talking about Adam Kadmon with Kabbalah, it is the, the model of heaven. If you don't have all the different kinds of parts that go to make it up, which are all the different kinds of minds, so, including some of them who have dealt with the things we're dealing with on earth, we wouldn't be able to have a functional heaven. And heavens, if nobody lived in the physical world, you couldn't have a functional heaven in two different ways. So you are doing a great job doing something so important that we can barely fathom it. And that's a good reason to, to keep going as well. All right, Karen, do you want to have a, a last thought on it? Yeah, I wanted to apologize to Julianne because I misheard the question, but it turned into a really good conversation about, because she was asking why do people struggle so hard to let go of this life? And it, but it's great to just remember that whatever is happening to each person is just the right thing in the grand scheme. So um, it can be, um, you know, to, to not not uh, conducive to our happiness to just like be afraid of dying and try to put that off and put that off in any way possible because as Julianne points out we're going to just continue on but also it's good to just if we're here to just say well while we're here it's really important work we're doing it's super important so don't need to yeah just consider it just waiting around for wasting time we're doing super important things and heaven needs angels who have gone through a lot in this life because only those kinds of angels can help us uh, fix things <laughs> in this world. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. I guess you can read that question two ways. Yeah. The, and uh, we read it both, which is like bonus. Hey, speaking of bonus, we're going to pause for just a minute to uh, let people know that they've won something. So every month we have a new donor raffle. If you gave for the first time to off the left eye during a month, you're automatically entered in to win one of two amazing items of swag. So for what's this month, September, is this the last one? Yeah. So for this month, September, what a great month, uh, we have a winner. So first of all, the off the left eye mug. This is a stylish way to get your liquids that will let everybody know you're <laughs> thinking about truth and water. Uh, that was Gloria Hayes. So Gloria, thank you for your contribution. We will send you that beautiful mug. And then the tote bag. If you want to carry, let's say you want to carry around a beautiful volume of the NCE or just some other stuff, your groceries, 
we have this awesome off the left eye tote bag. And the winner of that is Jeffrey Adams. So thank you to both of you for your contributions. That's awesome. Hey, if you have never given to us and want to, you could be entered in next month's drawing. And for this particular show, hey, we're still a ways away from our goal. If we do want to ex expand things uh, and go an extra 15 minutes, so go to otle.cosbox.com. we got to raise, what, $45 in order to get there. That's not that much. A couple contributions could do it just fine. So do that. In the meantime, let's get to the next question. Uh, this is from JetFuel12 who asks, what are the similarities and differences between Swedenborg's writings and near-death experiences? That's a very on-topic question. I love it. Is that, do you want to um, have everybody just think about like what's a similarity, what's a difference? Uh, because there's probably so many. Uh, does anything spring to mind? Cara, you want to lead us off? I'll just start out with the light. Um, near-death experiences seem to always talk about some quality of light and brightness of light that is something they haven't ever ex experienced before. And Swedenborg describes the light of heaven as that, just something amazing and powerful and revealing and enlightening like we've never known. Awesome. Yeah, the light. And so cool that Swedenborg has a, a backstory so what the light is, that it is divine wisdom, and that this is one of the primary emanations that actually in our minds on earth, we're only able to think because of the inflow of divine light. It just kind of adds that dimension. That's cool. Yeah. Um, other similarities and differences, Karin? Um, the concept of unconditional love, that God is a God of unconditional love is huge because Many people have been raised with an angry God concept and the near-death experience stories tell us over and over that they were just this light that Kara mentions is also full of this un, just indescribable love that is just so um, yeah, unconditional, unforgiving. And, and even as go, when going through the life review and seeing stuff that wasn't so great, it's, it's all in this um, encompassing unconditional love that only wants to help people. And the other thing is um, protection, uh, uh, like, and, and joy in greeting people. So near-death experiences ha uh, describe this joy of people greeting the one who's crossing over either loved ones or uh, beings of light, angels, and just this joy and welcome. And that is matching with, um, what Swedenborg talks about these angels, these highest angels that come to people as they're crossing over and just want to protect and love them as much as the person will allow. So those are a couple of correlations. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, and those are some big ones too. Jonathan. Well, one similarity is that um, the idea of having your questions answered Um uh, Swedenborg says that angels want to answer any question and and talk to you, you know, about anything you want to know. And near-death experiences, uh, often there'll be that, well, how was the world created? And wh what's everybody doing? And why do we suffer? And, you know, uh, getting questions answered. Uh, similar, I love this question, by the way. I think it's a fantastic question. The um, uh, kind of a difference between near-death experiences and what Swedenborg says is that a lot of people uh, talk about the tunnel and also about a life review. Uh, 
Swedenborg doesn't specifically talk about a life review. He certainly talks about the fact that your the events of your life come up and you process them, but it doesn't sound like it's right at that moment when you pass. And he doesn't exactly talk about the tunnel, but he does talk about this power of divine love that if your if your body, you know, if you if there was an explosion or or whatever, uh, the the Lord can draw all the pieces together. He just talks about this amazing kind of magnetic pull that kind of sounds like the way people are drawn through this tunnel, but it's quite a different way to to say it. And um, one other thing that strikes me is that uh, a lot of near-death experiences have an interview with God, uh, with this being of overwhelming, unconditional love. And... um, uh, and even the epistles say to, to be absent from the body is to be present with God, that kind of thing. Uh, Swedenborg's account says that we're present with at first with the highest angels who, who embody that kind of love. It's a little bit different than saying you're actually with the Lord himself, even though the whole idea of those highest angels is that they embody, you know, the Lord f- fills them with that divine spirit. And so, I, I wonder if that's what people are experiencing when they feel I, I was sitting with God and Swedenborg would say, well, technically those were celestial angels who were filled with the divine spirit or, or something. I don't know, but it's an, just another little compare and contrast that occurs to me. I love what you did with the differences there, because as we were getting partway through, I was thinking it's going to be very difficult to highlight differences because there are so many different near-death experiences that contain, but you went right for the biggest, I think, dissonance between Swedenborg's description and the classic near-death experience and certainly while he while you can find all the elements of a life review he talks about displays and the spiritual memory and everything it's not front and center he doesn't talk about that as this cohesive right in your face thing um like they do so i love that you brought that up um before i get to a similarity that i liked i want to say thanks to sharon sharon has stepped in and now suddenly we're going to overtime. We have hit our goal. Thanks to everybody who contributed. And we'll take this as a vote of you guys enjoy uh, this conversation that we're having. So let's keep going. Thanks so much for your support to the program, everybody. If you're watching this after the fact, you can still donate. And that still makes a difference to us. OTLE.Cosmark.com. Okay. I always think about space in the afterlife. And that Swedenborg has a chapter in Heaven and Hell on space and time. That there's no time and no space. That space is states. And people will talk about a fuzzy sense of time, but also a fuzzy sense of space, particularly around that tunnel that you mentioned, Jonathan, that they'll say, uh, you know, I was moving incredibly fast. Or I was suddenly, I, I could have gone, it could have been that I went a few feet or I went across the entire universe. I don't know. We just moved. The people describe it like that, that there is does seem to be this, well, there's still the, what Swedenborg would probably describe as the appearance of time and space. People experience similar sensations. They don't behave at all like the time and space we know. So that's a cool theme that runs strong through them all. And I guess I would just throw in there telepathy, that people talk about angels talking right into their mind, and Swedenborg describes the very same thing. Yeah, so um, that's great. Karin, did you want to say something else? Yeah, actually, I've, I... In our show, What Happens Immediately After You Die, which is our most popular show right now, um, we did find a way to reconcile that life review thing with something Swedenborg said because he talks about the book of life and that that is gets opened at a certain 
phase of your process after death. And you're even, even he described sometimes people are actually looking through a book <laughs> or they're seeing it displayed, um, displayed in front of them and every, every moment, every feeling, every thought, and it's involved with the angels helping you ex examine your life. So I think that's the same thing. And it, it's true that Swedenborg says in the in the actual death process that comes a little later. It's not right at the beginning, but I think that that's because the NDE is a different thing than actually dying. You're just getting a little taste of whatever would be the most useful. And so I think for many people, just having an NDE and then coming back, the Lord would see there's some use to you getting that right now instead of later that life review to help you make some realizations and make some changes. So I think I. I do find that in Swedenborg's writings, but just in a different order when it's the actual death process. And then I also wanted to mention just NDEs um, affirm what Swedenborg says, that we have a spiritual body when we shed our physical body because people find themselves as a person there on the other side um, and with the body and, and talking and doing things and seeing things and uh, a tangible world around them. So that is also matches with Swedenborg. Oh, we could go on and on. You could, I mean, we have two episodes, the episode that came out last and the next one about the, you know, the correlation between Swedenborg's description and, and what's going on there. But I like those ones that you pointed out there. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's just fascinating to dig into that and um, sort of see what, uh, what lies behind and, and behind. And I think purpose means results. Everything is, Swedenborg talks about there being a purpose that drives the means and changes the results. Near-death experience versus actual death, very different results. You know, we, somebody comes back from a near-death experience and lives the rest of their life in this world, so it would seem to make sense that the means would be shuffled around into the sort of Cliff Notes version that you were describing, Karin. Okay, hey, I just want to say thanks to Koi, because Koi made a donation, and so now we are well above our goal, and it feels great to get one of those after the, the goal's already been hit, because it shows people just want to support the program. Uh, so thank you so much, Koi. Appreciate it. Hey, let's go to our next question. This is from Virginia Dare, who asks, are our loved ones checking in on us from time to time, always with us, or off doing their own thing, or all of the above? What's the, how important are we once you do cross over to this awesome new world? Is it sort of like, oh, yeah, I used to know so-and-so back in high school, earth life, but now we don't keep in touch that much. What do you think, guys? Does Swedenborg have uh, something clear around this or uh, or what? Yeah, Karen. Um, I'll start by saying that um, I, I have wondered if it's a little different now than it was 250 years ago, that there, the veil would be a little thinner now than it was in Swedenborg's day because it was right at the time of the big last judgment in the spiritual world and things had been very blocked and there was a lot of separation. Um, but even then, Swedenborg definitely wrote that people in the afterlife can be aware of the thoughts and feelings of people on earth. So like there's a definite, definite connection there. And I remember um, a couple of just stories in the middle of true Christianity of either spirits or angels just telling Swedenborg that they were aware of this certain person on earth and what that person was doing. I'll need to find where that was, but it was just like, my person is is this kind of a occupation and does this. And I thought, well, there you go. It's uh, like 
there was an instance of being quite aware of what the people were doing on earth. And so I think it's all of the above. I think that um, it's so um, much more clear in the afterlife than it is here that we're, we're just so connected and that Swedenborg says we are already in communities in the spiritual world and sometimes that becomes very clear to the people in that community like whoa there's <laughs> there's a person who's on earth but here we're seeing them there and maybe other times it's it's not that clear but they're just more feeling uh the the thoughts and feelings and influences so i think i think it's all of the above i do think our loved ones are aware of us i don't think it's just like they're watching us all the time in a physical way and they're going to the store now and they are just, they're living their life, but they can feel us as a part of their life. You know, we have, we have these bonds of love and thoughts that I, I think they're more aware than we are on this side of that ongoing connection. Awesome. Great. Lots of cool thoughts there. Jonathan, do you want to expand? Sure. Just a quick thought that, um, uh, Swedenborg sort of has it two ways in the way he describes it in the sense that he'll say that the souls of especially soulmates will dwell together so, so they're always together and yet he says when the one who's in the physical world dies there are these joyful reunions of like oh finally you know and so it wouldn't feel that way if it was exactly the same as always being together so there must be something that's a little not like full contact. It's more maybe like the way you think of somebody when they're off doing something in a different room or, you know, you feel connected, but it still feels so good to actually be fully together again. So that's just a thought. That's great. And I really hadn't put two and two together like that, but it seems to me that is one of the clearest references Swedenborg has to people who knew each other dwelling together, the spirit of one deceased uh, married partner dwelling with the other, that's that's great. That's great to apply it like that. And it is kind of, it really shows you what Swedenborg was going for, that this is always a question people have first. And yet we have to kind of piece together his answer from like sifting through things. You think front and center, you know, is my person who died around me or not, but he had a mission, a different, mission. And that's maybe why he's such a good compliment to the NDEs, because the NDEs are giving you what you want, whereas he's got this this broader agenda. Yeah, Cara. Just uh, pointing to the fact that Swedenborg talks about love being the most real thing and an eternal thing. So um, if, if you love somebody on the other side in some way that is continuing, that, that doesn't just fall into nothing. Um, so I don't, I don't know what it, what it would manifest like, but somehow I just imagine that, I mean, my son lives in Colorado and I live in Pennsylvania and I, he's in my heart all the time. Um, will it be a lot different than that? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, in some way, the love remains, even if there's not like a conscious togetherness about it. Yeah. I love, yeah. And I just want to quick add that I love just thinking about whatever is the most useful. I mean, the Lord is always like there are definitely stories of somebody just like seeming to be very aware of their loved one on earth for this moment. And then sometimes not. And whatever is 
the most useful and we don't know that big picture usefulness, but I, I like trusting that the Lord, the, the Lord's got it. <laughs> and going back to something you said earlier, Karen, about the state of the world a couple hundred years ago and that it could have been the veil was thicker, as they say at that time. I do want to draw our attention to that once the spiritual world got wind that Swedenborg could be this channel between, he describes people saying, hey, tell my family I'm okay, which even if they couldn't communicate, it means that that was their first thought was, hey, tell my family that I'm okay. And that means that you haven't left their mind and doesn't mean that they're not aware of you. They just couldn't get through to you. And it's it's important to show that they wanted to tell you that. It's not that they were, well, they're on earth, we'll leave them. And they're like, oh, we found a workaround. We can get through this Swedenborg guy. Swedenborg at the time says, listen, I can't go tell the people that. They're going to think that I'm crazy. Which just the fact that nowadays, it's not that crazy, a lot of that sort of stuff. Maybe we are just getting more accepting of spiritual things and, and getting more common. Okay, let's go to the next one. Tim Wood, and I love this. I love when a question comes in that I know we're going to have a really good Swedenborg answer to. It's fun to do, to sort of piece things together, but when there's a really clear answer, <laughs> it's really fun. So hopefully you guys see that, this question having that. Tim Wood asks, will we have seasons like spring, summer, fall, and winter, and weather in the afterlife? Are we going, Cara, are we going to, does that stuff leave with the world? Well, he talks about heaven being an eternal springtime. But he does talk uh, not so much in terms of seasons, but in terms of time of day. Um, like we have the mornings and we have the afternoons, and we have the evenings, which are all about our um, proximity in our spirit to God's love and truth. Um, but I can't think of him talking about seasons other than heaven being like an eternal spring. Okay, we got to start. Eternal spring the day-night cycle, which are, which are really these miniature seasons that we go yeah. through, being driven not by Earth's rotation, but by the rotation of our state. Yeah, Jonathan. Uh, he does have a couple of wonderful stories. He has a snow shoveling passage. Uh, he talks about the Arctic zones uh, in the other world. You know, it does seem as though there's weather kind of conditions and... Um, the joys of snow shoveling and so forth. It's actually not associated, even though I, I love snow. I spent a bunch of my time in Canada, but um, uh, to him, uh, a Swede in the 18th century or something, I think, anyways, snow was, it has a beautiful correspondence, but it also tends to happen where there's faith alone in the other world. It's not a very good sign if it's snowy where where people hey, are will you, will you give us this like the briefest i think i know the story you're referencing will you give us just the briefest outline of what's going on in that community yeah well he he goes up there and he hears this sermon that's kind of hilarious the way he describes it because this preacher um is really so fixated on the thought that you can't understand anything and you shouldn't try to understand it and so he just keeps sighing and saying, oh, what a mystery is our faith. And so Swedenborg travels there on a, a Sunday and they're all shoveling um, uh, the snow to get into the building. And then these he describes these terrifying, crazy wild horses who are bringing people up in carriages and they're going out. And then after they hear this sermon, they're all saying to the preacher, uh, that was so wonderful, so wise. And Swedenborg asks them, 
did you understand anything? <laughs> and they said, why do you ask us whether we understood? We're, we're supposed to hold our intellect under obedience to faith. So, you know, it's sort of the message goes with the snow. Um, he does talk about seasons, although Kara's right that he, he um, talks more about time of day. But he says that uh, as we progress in heaven, our winter gets milder and milder and our night gets lighter and warmer. And, you know, so there's a gradual sort of, I don't want to say global warming, that's the wrong association, <laughs> but there is sort of a, an amelioration over time of where you're really savage, you know, really brutal winter and really dark night is more a thing that he associates with hell or really difficult states and that kind of thing. It sounds like the temperature's wonderful. He does not say, although lots of people in his time period believe that in hell fire and you're burning in hell. He said, actually, there's a coldness about hell, but a lot of the evil spirits don't feel it. They feel fine. They feel sort of room temperature or something. They're, they're not freezing. They're not burning. Uh, that's more of a correspondence. When other people go around, people who have a really cold heart, then they'll shudder like they're near an iceberg, he says, and, and that kind of thing. But uh, there is weather and there are all the things that are here. He describes quite a lot of passages about, you know, meteors and interesting things that happen and there's lightning or a storm clouds and you know so it sounds like all of that does still happen which and and he describes that as in this world there are certain basic principles about the you know the the sun the earth going around the sun the the tilt of the ecliptic uh, all that kind of thing that create the equinoxes and the solstices and all that but within that there's infinite unending variety and you never get the same day twice and uh he says that's even more true in the other world and it's not anchored to a sort of physical clock that says well now it's springtime uh, for one individual could be there in a different state than another one is so it, it's more fluid but all of those things are are there which i think makes makes life rich and interesting yeah and that's that's the excitement i have around the, the answer is that there Yes, there are these things, but it's not what you think. You know, it has to do with the, the driver is the mind. And the, the springtime climate that Cara is describing is because of the mindset in heaven. And I think about, Jonathan, your point to the, the mildenization of the winters and the nights. That's It's just like if you go from, you know, where I'm in the Philadelphia area, you keep going south you get milder and milder. And Swedenborg talks about the directions, the axes uh, in the spiritual world. Um, North-South is about truth and your acceptance of truth. And then East-West is about love and your acceptance of love. So moving further south would be actually like moving more into the light. So it's, it's all, again, going back to this time and space are different there. And that the snow you were talking about, Jonathan, that was they were shoveling and was coming out of their minds. I mean, the mindset that gravitated towards this cold, sort of loveless, warmthless faith, they wouldn't see it as that. You have to be cued in to understand that that's what's driving the surroundings, but that's what is. Uh, okay, Karin, yeah, do you have other thoughts on this this cool and wide-ranging subject? Yes, I, I really like um, thinking, as Kara mentioned about that, he does, you know, Swinburne describes a ton, but he 
you can't describe everything, not every, every, everything that happens in the afterlife, not possible. And so if you think about that, he does dis describe the cycle of a morning, noon, you know, afternoon, evening sort of states that that cycle in heaven, it really makes sense to me that there would also be cycles around you of seasons. And if you think of every season on earth has a beautiful aspect to it. So there could be the, the beautiful aspects in heaven. Like I'm thinking, why, why do I love fall so much? Why is, uh, even though everything's dying and, <laughs> but there's this beauty and there is a beauty in, as you're getting ready to let go of one state or one phase of life or something there's a beautiful looking back at what what was lovely about it which is those colors coming out you know as the green is dying away but you see what was underneath all the time and uh, there's a beauty to letting go of a state and getting ready to sort of have a rest period that is winter and then starting anew so um i think I, I imagine that every beautiful aspect of every season would be available there for you to enjoy in, in heaven. And that idea of the, um, what I think of is of the eternal springtime um, concept is that feeling of, Swedenborg says that in heaven, every day there's something new. Like every day is exciting because there's something new. And so that's that sort of springtime feel to heaven. Like it's new, it's new. Everything's just getting started and, um, so th think of it that way rather than of uh, at like, oh, boring. We have the same weather as we had yesterday, you know, but just like it's new. It's a new day, exciting. And maybe sometimes just in your one waking period, you're seeing all the seasons in some way. I don't know. But yeah. it's, well, <laughs> it's a good point because there's always a tendency to, to go minimalist and think, well, that doesn't sound as great as what we have here. And I am thinking about the first fall day. There's not so many advantages to living in a climate that gets cold as I have my whole life because you have to slog your way through the winter. But I will say the first day that it's cold in fall is just so invigorating and exciting. And it's because you're sliding down the slope into wintry death, but it doesn't feel like that. So there, I do think, Karen, you're right. There's something beautiful in there. It reminds me of, um, you know, like Jonathan was mentioning, the the nights get less intense and in that in heaven you have night, but it's, he he's adamant that there's a distinction. It's the half light before dawn. It's not night, night. And who knows what that actually looks like, but it's something different. So it could well be that, yeah, the beauty of all these things, the positive and negative correspondences, you do get the good stuff, but you don't get the like, oh, it's slushy and, and 36 degrees right now. Uh, it, at least you don't get it as much, right? Okay. Hey, I didn't even realize we were so engrossed in that question that we're in the bonus round right now. We are into the, the place that's been brought to uh, us by all of you donating. Thank you so much. Let's, uh, let's go forward. This is Robert Martin who asks, what are your feelings about most NDEs reporting coming to earth many, many times? And Swedenborg says we only come here once. Hey, there's a big difference between uh, NDEs. I'll lead off, and I don't know if this is going to kill this conversation or not, but we did do a show called Do We Reincarnate? And in there, we did our best, yeah, to say what, so yeah, what is the interface between this idea of returning to the earth multiple times and only being here once and then moving on, which Swedenborg, if you just had to say it really quickly, you'd say, oh, he's in that, that second category that you're, you live here on the earth once and then you move on. 
but there are as there always is these subtleties and these layers in which there are are there are ways in which a lot of them in in the spiritual world you do go through cycles a lot like is described by reincarnation but it's not the same as coming back here so there's that show i'll refer to everyone to but does anyone want to add uh, anything pertinent to that now jonathan well, I, I, uh, at the risk of complicating things, I'll see you and raise you the fact that some often in these near-death experiences, and I don't, I'm not aware of all of them, of course, but uh, you will also have kind of a separate trinity. Sometimes you'll have like the, the Holy Spirit or, you know, the, the, right. Jesus is separate from God and that kind of thing, which also doesn't agree with Swedenborg's theology. And so those things do really get you thinking. I know of one famous case, I won't say the name of the person, but um, I met the person, talked with them personally, who uh, had a near-death experience, published a book about it. And the experience itself didn't say anything about reincarnation, but he decided as he was processing it in subsequent weeks that there must be reincarnation, which struck me because he saw his uh, sister in the other world. And... uh, seeing loved ones in the other world is a little harder to reconcile with if you're recycled what what are they doing aren't they back, aren't your grandparents back here you know yeah. it's sort of hard to figure out the logistics of how you see deceased loved ones if there's reincarnation and part of uh, the i don't have a great answer but i think when you're having near death experiences i think you're in the world of spirits and the world of spirits midway between heaven and hell the place we go after we die and um and that is a world of appearances, Swedenborg says, like you'll, you'll see even kind of mythical creatures or you'll see, you know, you'll see unicorns or you'll see the kind of things you see in the, you read about in the book of Revelation. And, and um, in other words, it's a world of symbolism. The buildings are symbolic and, and so on. And so I wonder if some of what people experience there is a, is a symbolism rather than the real underlying reality the the symbolism as the show you referred to curtis says is that reincarnation is all about rebirth you know we we do become new we have a new new heart and a new understanding and that keeps happening over time uh the logistics of how you sort of come back into the flesh and all that stuff i've never really been able to work that out in such a way that it makes sense to me but it's true that that is a a distinction between a lot of ndes and what swedenborg says that's great. I love. Thanks for expanding on that and complicating it, and and everything we need to do to ensure there'll be a next conversation. But no, that that's really good insight. <laughs> Karin, did you have something? Yeah, I'm I'm interested that Robert says most NDEs. That hasn't. I, maybe I'm reading different ones, but that hasn't been my experience in reading NDE stories. That most of them um, have a reincarnation idea to them. So that interests me. Um, But yeah, I think that what I get from Swedenborg is that um, it's actually more, the the purpose of the NDE is really not to describe the absolute accurate uh, system of the afterlife. It's this little glimpse and it, the main point is just to have the person um, have some sort of wake up call to something that needs changing or uh, an emphasis that love is the most important thing. We're all connected like these things that were said by our guests on the, on the show this week. 
Um, we're all connected. We, uh, love is the most important thing. Be kind to the person in front of you, you know, just, and you're always being helped. So it seems to me that is the main purpose of the NDE. It's, it's, it's not to tell you this, this is exactly how everything happens. It's like, here is a little um, experience to teach you something about love. And part of the mercy of the Lord is the Lord works with whatever state of mind or whatever belief system the person is comfortable with um, during that experience as, as the Lord does when a person actually dies and is first in the afterlife, like the person who crosses over will first be in and is allowed to explore the ways that they believed heaven is or the, you know, how they've pictured things basically because only by sort of trying that out and, and mulling that over for yourself, might you, might you, uh, you know, want to maybe learn a different point of view. Um, so I think near death experiences are always very influenced by people's states of mind and belief systems. And we're more worried about, <laughs> um, like what's the, did, was that the right information or is this or this? And the Lord is just so much more patient and long-term than that. It's just like, just wanted a message of love to get through, like, or a wake up call about something. Maybe you need to change direction in your life. And, uh, the rest of the information can come later. So I, there are many people who find, just find it uh, easier to make sense of life if you come back to this world and have another chance. Um, to me, it makes sense what Swedenborg describes that you get your, you still continue to learn and go through cycles in the afterlife. You don't need to come physically back here. Um, but if that's the most, you know, a comforting concept, the Lord's not going to rip that away from people. And so, yeah, there, there's some thoughts that our, our state of mind is allowed to stay with us, uh, not to get ripped away from us right away. <laughs> yeah. And in either way, we got to make sure that we can, if we have divergent viewpoints on something, even that's big, like the nature of our fate after death, that we can get along and that we can move, we, we can agree on the love side of things. And then hope the truth sorts itself out. Let's try to sneak one more in there. There's just a couple minutes. Let's go really fast. Sharon Batten asks, and maybe we just give this a quick, a quick thought here. How do you know if it's loved ones or just your mind playing tricks on you? I often talk to my partner every day, but it appears that she's answering me, or is it my mental state? And this is, I think, one that we're not going to be able to give something definitive on, but I'd love to hear a thought or two. Yeah, Jonathan. Oh, you're muted. Good, good Zoom etiquette now. Uh, playing tricks on you, that would, in Swedenborg's view, be a hacker of some kind from the other world. He doesn't call them that, but, you know, uh, somebody who's trying to fool you and play the role of that other person. And whoever that is, they would have some kind of a, an agenda. So you could see whether that, does that voice seem pushy or not? I also evaluate uh, just on the basis of the content, what is the content? Is it loving? Is it compassionate? Does it seem true? Or does it seem like it's, you know, pushing you in a different direction? And um, uh, and if it's surprising, I think it comes from outside of myself. Like, I don't think my mind just sits around and thinks of things to surprise myself, you know? <laughs> uh, and so if it's surprising, that that feels like something outside of self. 
Great. I love it. Some good, quick, quick hitting points there. Kara or Karen, do you, do you have anything? Karen? Yeah, I agree with Jonathan. Just, um, just, just pay attention to the feel of it. I was just reading something in Divine Providence where genuine angels or good spirits are not going to be pushy. They're not going to tell you what you ought to be doing or ought to be believing. They're just going to say, I love you. I'm okay. You're okay. Everything's okay. You know, just some very simple, um, I, the most real feeling ones are just, it's just a hug or a simple, a simple, a simple message of love. And I think that if you get those kinds of things, the other thing is, I think negative spirits will try to get you to second guess this all the time. Oh, that felt so good. Oh, but it, what if it wasn't really my loved one? Well, just don't pay attention to that. If you just, if you felt a loving presence, just let yourself believe that was your, your loved one. Don't, don't get into the second guessing game because it, you know, it is your loved one's love one way or another. Um, if, if you're feeling it in that way. That's a great point. So many times the second guessing game can just ruin anything good. You just peck it to death. And that's sort of the direction the the, the monkey mind part of it will we'll try to pull you in. So great. Okay. So cool. There you go. Sharon, hope you enjoyed this. Uh, just throwing a few things out there. Uh, and thank you for willing, willing to share your experience there. I want to say thank you so much to the people that contributed during the show. Uh, Jeffrey, Tara, Pamela, Sharon and Coy, we had five total donors raised $155 going into the programming. So thank you for helping us reach the world. Hey, speaking of reaching the world, we're going to keep it going. I mean, what we do here is we make sure we tell everybody the good news we possibly can as much as we can. So the show continues just because this one is ending here. On Sunday, we have a new episode of our Inside Off the Left Eye podcast, which is entitled Go to Spiritual Tools and Swedenborg's New Address in Heaven. So you will hear Chelsea and myself answering the question we started this show with, and you'll get to hear about where Swedenborg moved in in heaven at one point while he was still alive in this world. Then on Monday, new episode of Swedenborg in Life, we continue our mini-series on a near-death experience. And the title of the episode is The Framework Behind All Near-Death Experiences, which I'm excited about this because I really think what Swedenborg can really contribute to the modern near-death experience movement is a little bit of the, yeah, why are we experiencing these phenomena? And through this framework, really bring it into something that can change the way you see everything. So that's going to be great. Hey, guys, uh, and by guys, I mean the panel. Thanks so much for, for doing this. That was a lot of fun. Good Thank fun, Curtis. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Wonderful questions and discussion. Keep on asking questions. Keep on reading lots of stuff and researching and, and feeling what makes sense to your heart. Yeah. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. All right, everybody. Take it easy. We'll see you soon.